everybody. Welcome back. My guest this week is Andrew Bumbelow, professional runner for the Nike Bowerman Track Club here in Portland, Oregon. He and I went out for a really awesome long run in the Tillamook Forest just this past weekend in what turned out to be the longest run of his athletic career, which is funny to think about as somebody who has dominated the road and track scene going back to when he was a kid coming out of Tennessee being a division one athlete at Georgetown University and transitioning to life as a professional runner. It was an honor to show him the magic of trail running this past weekend, and I hope the bug has bit him. But this conversation barely touches that. We talk a lot more about the human side of sport, and I hope it's become clear that that's really the thing I'm most interested in touching on with this podcast, whether it's sport, entrepreneurship, life in general, is just learning more about the human beings behind the achievements, behind the accolades. And Andrew was very open and honest in this conversation about the highs and lows. We talk mostly uh, about this idea of sort of confronting our athletic mortality. You know, he's 33 years old, I'm 34. He's been through a lot of injury. I've been through my fair share just in the past year as well. And this was the major theme of our conversation when we were running together. And, uh, you know, the idea of thinking about what's next when you've devoted your life to a singular mission for such a long time as Andrew has. Uh, I think it's just something that's really worthwhile to explore and something that I wish pro athletes had more guidance on. So I hope this conversation might help one or two people out there who might confront this in their lives as well. But I think the the message is relevant for anybody. Um, Just how to be better in what you do professionally, how to understand how things evolve, how to take a long-term view and how to think about what's next when the time comes. I bring you Andrew Bumbelow. All right. Andrew Bumbelow. It's good to see you, my friend. Thanks for uh, coming over to my office here and chatting with us for the podcast. How are you? I'm well, man. And it's, it's a rainy day here in Portland, but you know, I just, I'm down the street literally from here. This is like kind of my stomping ground. So it's pretty fun for you to be this close as well. Yeah, it's great. And and we're six feet apart for those uh, who might quarantine shame us. But um, <laughs> yeah, the rare, the rare rainy day here in Portland, I was uh, starting to think that this didn't really happen and that the, the rain uh, that everybody talks about was just marketing to keep the Californians out of here. But uh, it turns out it actually does rain as it is this afternoon. So it's a good, good time to sit down and chat with you. So, you know, you and I have known each other a couple of years now. Uh, we met at a bachelor party of all things. <laughs> uh, first, so shout out to, to Levi Miller here on the front end, one of your teammates from college and, and a dear friend of, of both of ours. Now, and, you know, we've been in touch and we've, uh, we've hung out a bit since Harmony and I have moved here to Portland. Um, but just this past weekend, you and I had a fun little adventure together. So to sort of get things started, I wanted you to kind of explain to the listeners w- what we did this, uh, this past Saturday and why it was a, a small milestone in your illustrious running career. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I don't know how it came to fruition. I think maybe I just, I reached out to you or you reached out to me and, kind of 
decided that we were going to go on this 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 adventure run this is how I am like kind of viewing it or at least how I viewed it uh, in my mind going into it um, you know this is like just a piece of your normal routine and <laughs> and it's totally out of bounds of what I would normally do um, but we went out to the Tillamook Forest and you'd kind of mapped out a, a run a route that for us to do um, through the forest on like a single track trail um, and and uh, I think the the most unique aspect of it is is and the milestone that you're referring to is that it's the longest timed run I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've I, in marathon training um, I've run up to two hours and forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like rolling hill course, like on a dirt road, like pretty tame. This was I think we ended up running like three hours and fourteen minutes. Yeah. And. Uh, I guess the watch said around 20 miles, yeah. but you were, you were kind of giving me the trail code yeah. of like, maybe you can add around 10%. Yeah, we'll, we'll pat, our, pat our stats pat the there. Sta- pat those stats, yeah. Yeah, so it was great. Yeah, nice little 20 miler through the forest on single track, some ups and downs for you as a professional track athlete and marathon runner. Um, and uh, yeah, it was an honor to uh, to to uh, sort of chaperone you through what was the the longest uh, run of your career, timing wise. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to many more of those here in the coming years as I slowly try and uh, pull you into the the trail and ultra world. But our our conversation game during our run last weekend, I thought was really impressive we were uh we were going deep and having having good chats on a number of different subjects many of them i want to touch here again in a recorded context for for the listeners but but first before we kind of get to that and the interesting thing about sort of the point of your career right now and how it's similar to my the point of my career um i kind of want to go back in time hear a little bit more about your childhood and Tennessee sort of when you found the sport of running when you realized you were good at it and wanted to kind of pursue it as a as a lifelong passion yeah so I think I've like I've been an endurance athlete my entire life and just didn't really realize it as a kid um you know I would I would go out and just play for out like hours literally just running all over the neighborhood um I feel like kind of growing up in Tennessee like that's what that's what kids did. And in, during that time period, like in, in the nineties, like that's what kids did still. Um, I, I think it's changed a little bit and I've noticed as a parent, like kind of looking at some of my, my kids peers, like they don't quite do that the way that, that I did as a kid, like kind of getting around like a pretty big radius around the house and just with the expectation that you're home by dark, um, that still was very much part of my reality. So that was kind of like, what I did as a kid. And then I moved into soccer, um, like for, at, in kindergarten maybe. And that was like my thing. Like I loved soccer and, um, soccer is, is a great segue into running. I think it, it's, it's one of the best like sports to do. If you, if you want your kid to, to eventually be a runner, if that's your aim, like put them in soccer because that is such a, a great way to develop that, um, that aerobic system early on. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so interesting. And man, dude, we have so much in common too, because I was actually just talking about this with my own mom, because I had a similar upbringing in that I would ride my bike everywhere as a kid. Like me and my friends were cycling maniacs, right? And of course, when I say cycling, I don't mean like we were putting on 
you, you know, weren't kitted. Spandex, you weren't like kitted yeah. out. We weren't like doing it for exercise. We were doing it for pure recreation. We were, you know, riding to the fast food restaurants, like eating a bunch of garbage, then riding to, you know, play to the park to play capture the flag, running around all day. And I think that seriously has a big impact in sort of the trajectory of my life as an athlete and actually being good at like endurance stuff because I, like you, I would go from sun up to sundown just just playing my ass off. And then similarly as a lacrosse player too, like it just having that athleticism I think helps with running and specifically trail running, which is why you're going to be so great when I eventually uh, <laughs> convert me, convert you. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just like the, the lifelong, um, you know, athleticism and the fitness that comes with it does translate a lot. But when was it that like running became your focus? Yeah. Um, so in, when I was a sixth grader, um, my sixth grade English teacher helped out with the cross country team and she brought in, um, one day after class, she just like, it was the end of the school day. She brought in some t-shirts and was like, there's a cross country meet on uh, Friday. And maybe this was like a Wednesday. And she's like, if you want to run the race, like take a shirt and tell your parents. And, you know, I, I guess I'm someone that likes to try new things. I, I don't know that I would like say that about myself necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I think if I go back and like think about decisions I've made, I was just, it was kind of a spur of the moment. Like, sure, I'll take a shirt. So I went and um, ran the race um, that that Friday, um, after, after school and my parents, you know, came and, and took me there or whatever. And I did really well. Like I beat a bunch of, like I was running against seventh and eighth graders as well as sixth graders. And I think I, I don't know, maybe I finished like eighth or ninth place in the race, mm -hmm. something like that. But I beat a lot of kids that maybe I had no business beating yeah. just having never gone out there. It was just pure ability, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And, just natural talent. But like, I think it, it like definitely captured something or like captured something in me. Yeah. Like there was something about just like that initial, like, I don't know if it's like the post-race yeah. endorphins or the popsicles that we got or something yeah. afterwards, but it was like, there was some stoke involved yeah. with that first foray into it. And then I just had this great group of friends that like was, we're, we're running cross country as well throughout middle school. Um, it was a social thing as much as anything, you know, just, just kind of connection and <clears throat> yeah, just kind of kept doing that all the way through middle school and, um, in high school, I think my freshman year of high school is when I really started to like stand out in terms of like showing some ability, like some mm -hmm. like elite ability for that age. Yeah. Um, I was second in the state two mile as a freshman, wow. um, lost to a senior who you know, was, I think was the state record holder and stuff like that. So, um, I, I made rapid improvement my yeah. freshman and sophomore year. And then by the time I was a junior in, in high school, I was like starting to be not just on like the regional or state level, but yeah. like the national, national level. Yeah. Level. Yeah. That's awesome. And then it seems as if you had kind of like a, uh, a number of different options. You ended up running at Georgetown on full scholarship division one, great program, when and eventually you know you sort of graduate out of the program as one of if not the best guy of your class um you know transitioning to running professionally when was it that you 
sort of got the idea that you had that kind of talent and ability to run professionally? Or was it always kind of your dream going back to when you were a kid with this great group of friends that you had? Was that always kind of a dream to like be a pro, run in the Olympics, represent the U.S., things like that? Yeah, I think I remember it must have been like the the, the 96 games uh, in Atlanta, uh, watching that with my family and um, and kind of like thinking to myself, like, I would love to do that one day. Um, and it, it wasn't something that was always there. I think that was just a tiny seed that was planted at that time. Um, you know, it being in a city that was only four hours from where I grew up. Oh. So it's like, it's right in our backyard kind of. Um, so, and then, I don't know, I think as I got older, like a lot of that kind of was lost cause I wasn't thinking too much about it. I was just like worried about like, you know, who, like which rival in like state rival do I have to like whoop up on this weekend, you yeah. know, or like, or just hold my own against cause they're yeah. going to challenge me or whatever. So, but by the time I got to college, um, I think I had a pretty, pretty good idea of like what I could do and, and, and a lot of self-belief and, um, and was really bought into the process of, of like, of Pat Henner, who was my coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he had a vision of what I could do and what level I could get to. And, you know, I, I, I went to Georgetown because it was a good school and because, you know, it was a city that I like wanted to be in, but I yeah. went there mostly because I, I wanted to, to develop as an elite talent in uh -huh. running. And I believed like Henner and like the other athletes that I was going to be around would, would help would me help get you. there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So just sort of like having that long-term perspective as a kid and you mentioned having self-belief, do you think that sort of comes naturally to you? Because in talking to Levi about you, again, our, our mutual friend, he says that like you're a ridiculously competitive person, you know, like even when you're playing cards or whatever. Yeah. And you don't strike me that way, you know. And for me, like I totally struggle with the whole like self-belief part of it. So like when you were at Georgetown, like obviously you knew just by – you know, experience in the sport and guys who you were beating and times that you're putting up that you had that type of talent and you were professional material, but is there anything, you know, that sticks out in your mind that sort of like helps you, helped you with the self-belief at a young age, or is it just sort of like an innate confidence in, in your own abilities? That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I've evolved as a person. I think yeah. we do like, you know, we talked about some of that on, yeah. on the run that we had. Um, and so I would say I'm still very competitive, but maybe I'm a little bit more comfortable in my own, like myself now. Yeah. And so I don't feel like I have to like do these things like to the point of like, almost like, you know, being an asshole or whatever, yeah, right. like, and being like kind of so brutally competitive that I, like, I remember in high school, I wouldn't even talk to the people that like, before the race, really? I, would, I was just, I would like stare, I would stare them down and like, and make them like scared to, to hang with me, like basically yeah. try to intimidate them before the race. I mean, truly like, and like, you know, I it's was so interesting because you don't seem like that type of a yeah. person. You know? Well, I, I have a different, I always had a different side. Like right. with my buddies that didn't run, like I was off doing, I was off like going to concerts and like yeah. doing all these other things that were like totally unrelated to running. But like, 
I wanted to project like yeah. a, a piece of just, or like kind of like a, a position of like strength, yeah. strength or intimidation a little bit, like not to the point where I was a jerk, but like, or like not humble or whatever, but yeah. just to like, as a competitive like advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And of course I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that you have to be a jerk to be a, you know, a sort right. of like super confident or super, you know, sort of hyper competitive person. And I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary. As I, yeah. So know. I'm kind of like, I don't know, like <laughs> yeah. looking at him and like seeing bits of myself at times. Yeah. I mean, he took it to a whole nother level totally, and just like how he approached his game and um, and his mentality. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure like so much of like his background, like goes into that. Yeah. Um, but well, and also like Kobe Bryant, and this is sort of something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I did a podcast with, uh, Ellie Greenwood, who's one of like the best ultra runners of all time and talked about this like Mamba mentality with her and, and sort of like how, or that sort of mental side of your game can sometimes set the great athletes up the good athletes apart from, from the great athletes. And, um, you know, just like hearing about, yeah, how she was like, you know, let's go for it today. You know, like this isn't something that is, you know, is guaranteed and something that I'm going to put off to a future race. Now I'm going for it today and I believe in myself today. And this is, this is my opportunity and, and seizing that. And I think there's a lot for people like, me to learn from in, in that regard. And, um, so that's just an, an interesting thing that, you know, I wanted to touch on with you, given the fact that you seem like such a, you know, kind of like, you know, easy going, easy going Southern guy, you know, from Tennessee. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then like those, those early years, like when you were sort of turning professional, when we were running together, um, this past weekend, you said that, you know, you wanted to run for Jerry Schumacher, right? And you've ultimately, you know, you've been, you've ended up with his group. You've been running as part of the Bowerman Track Club or what has become the Bowerman Track Club for over a decade now. What was it that as you came out of college and you were sort of s stepping into being a professional for the first time, what drew you to to Jerry's program and to the group that he was assembling at that point? Yeah, so kind of going back, I, I was actually recruited by Jerry uh, when he was at Wisconsin. So there's a piece there where I already knew him. Like I had a relationship with him just from the recruiting process, and he recruited me all the way through until I made the decision to go to Georgetown. I, I actually took a visit to Wisconsin. Um, it was you, You're allowed five visits, and I, one of my visits was to Wisconsin. So... I already had some familiarity with with Jerry and with his philosophy and program um, kind of early on. Um, he gives me a hard time. He gives me a really hard time for, for not choosing Wisconsin now. But, um, yeah, like I think what ultimately kind of made it a full circle event for me in terms of wanting to, to, to go with him after uh, college was – I, I can remember distinctly where I was w when this happened. Um, Chris Linsky ran 2659 for 10,000 meters. Yeah. And he was the first non-African born um, runner to do that. It was an American record. And at the time, my PB for 5K was 1330. So he essentially just did 13. He ran 1330 two times in a row without stopping. Yeah. And to me, that seemed impossible. <laughs> yeah. Like so mind-blowingly good. Like... 
And Chris, Chris is a guy that like, I mean, if you look at him, he's, he's not like, he doesn't look like a freak of nature. He, if anything, he looks like he shouldn't be able to run that fast because right. he's a bigger guy. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I mean, for a track guy, he's like one of the bigger guys out there. So I think that the summer that he that Chris had combined with my relationship with, um, with Jerry previously and, and just really liking him and liking all the guys, um, that I'd met that he coached, like those things combined to where I was like, even as a, I guess I was a senior, they had already moved out to Oregon at that point in 2009, um, to be part of Oregon track club. And I was like, that's what I want. Yeah. And so my whole senior year was dedicated to making that happen. And I actually had, I mean, Pat Henner, my coach was like in touch with Jerry, like, mm. what do we need to do? Like, what does Andrew need to show Nike basically on the track to get to that point? Wow. So it was like in the works early in terms of just like. It's almost it, like a second recruiting process. Exactly. At that point. Yeah. 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 And so what's it like to, you know, run for him now? Obviously you guys have had a decade plus long relationship and you've gone from being like in a, developing pro to being sort of like a, a seasoned professional and a guy who has a lot of range and has competed in different distances. How has that relationship evolved over the years? Yeah. I think one of the cool things about Jerry is like, he is so focused on like the development and the performance and he's a really competitive guy. Um, and he, I think one of the things that sets him apart as a coach is like that he, he is so he's willing to like think so far outside of like what I think most coaches would think was kind of possible in training mm -hmm. in terms of just like volume intensity. Um, I mean, and I think the P the thing that people could criticize about that is like a lot of his athletes like, you know, get have, have been injured, but yeah. I think that's just part of the sport and what Jerry's like been able to do is just like push that next level of like intensity into his training and, and volume in his training and the results I think have spoken for themselves in terms of like what other athletes mm -hmm. have done. And I think the one thing that I can always know about Jerry is he's never going to like sell me short. Like yeah. he's always going to go for the, like the hail, like the, he's going hail Mary <laughs> every play. Like yeah. we're not doing like the little dump offs because I mean, part of training is the dump offs, yeah. but like in terms of the goal and what he thinks is possible, it's, it's the full length of the field. Like we're going to score. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's one of the coolest things about being, being part of uh, his group and just being uh, connected with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that the sports metaphor of hail Mary and, and Jerry also being a super competitive guy. And I, you know, we're, we're also similar in that we're both big sports fans and, and Bill Simmons fans, as we were talking about this past weekend. And, you know, while I don't see myself as a, you know, like a super competitive person, like my life has always revolved around competition, right? And one of the main themes of our conversation on our run this past weekend is like life after competition, right? And like confronting our mortality as like professional athletes. And that's sort of definitely something that I want to spend a lot of time talking about. But before we get there, you know, obviously most people who listen to this are sort of the trail and ultra type crowd, which you're going to become very familiar with eventually when I convert you, um, which will be another theme of this conversation. But, you know, obviously you've had, you've had a, a great career, you know, up to this point. And, um, 
you know, just for context and for reference for people who are listening, maybe list some of your your personal best uh, performances just to illustrate, you know, the fact that you have wheels and you have this like amazing range uh, that you've illustrated over the course of your long career. Yeah. So, um, you know, in college, I, I considered myself a 1500 meter runner, like a miler. Like that's what I came into college like to do. So, so what's your mile? PR? So my mile PR, um, is 356. I broke four for the first time in college and I ran 358 in at Yale, mm-hmm. um, university there. And that was my first like sub four. And I, I'm number 499, I believe on the American list of sub four milers. Wow. So I just snuck under just under 500. 500. So that, that, that feels special. Um, but yeah, th- 337 for 1500 meters. Um, and I guess moving up in distance for the 3K, uh, I've run, I guess, 7.36. And for 5K, 13.12. And then? Oh, and then, yeah. I mean, I can keep going up to, <laughs> to 10K. I've, I've, bro- I've run, I think, 20. I only ran it one time, uh, like a, a proper really? 10,000. Yeah. I mean, I've run it a bunch on the roads, but, like, I never, it never really, it's interesting. It like never really stuck for me. Like I never really liked it. Huh. I, I basically was like, uh, I guess I can't run the 5k anymore. So yeah. I'm just going to move to the marathon. It was kind of like what, what ended up happening. I, I just never really that. like fell in love with the 10,000, um, 25 laps on the track just yeah, seemed yeah. like insanely <laughs> long. So, um, but yeah, I, I think 2756 for 10k and then, um, for marathon to 1056. So, two ten fifty six, which you ran at Chicago in twenty twenty nineteen or nineteen nineteen, yeah, 19 yeah, just yeah, this yeah, past yeah, yeah, this yeah. past fall, which was incredible to watch. And our uh, our text thread from the the bachelor party chain, we were all just hooting and hollering for you uh, as you were closing in there at the end. It was it was so cool and. Um, yeah, just, you know, showed, showed your potential at that, at that distance. And, uh, you know, you've seen sort of that great performance and you've also seen some adversity at that distance, which I want to talk about here in a sec, but, you know, like to keep things, um, on the positive side before that is, uh, I'm curious, like when you look back at your career, you know, now you're 33, I'm 34. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting time in life, where especially as athletes and you know so when you look back like you've done so much at at this point and we're both like closer to the end of our great years than we are to to the beginning which is kind of tough to swallow sometimes but what are some of the like races or performances for you that you look back on maybe even going back to like high school like the races when you think about like the best days that yeah. you've had, yeah, maybe one or two of those and what made them special? Maybe I'll just do like one from each level. Um, for high school, it's probably, I ran this invita- this really big invitational for high schoolers is in, is called Arcadia. It's the Arcadia invite and it's in Los Angeles. It's in like a suburb of Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and it was like kind of my, like I was saying, my entry to like the national stage. I ran 849 for two miles. Um, which if you break nine as a high schooler, that's, that's really good. That's elite. Um, 849, especially at that time was like, there had only been a handful of guys to do that. And I, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was one of those races where you surprise yourself, like you're not expecting it. Mm. Um, and 
I beat like this Kenyan dude that was in the race, like walked him down the last 600 meters mm-hmm. and just like, it was, it was awesome. Um, so that, that was, a, that was a special, <laughs> that was 49. How old were you? 16? I was 16. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then maybe in college, um, yeah, there's so it's like so hard to boil it down, but um, one that stands out is uh, I won the Big East 1500 meters. Yeah. Um, the entire field w- was a sub had broken four in the mile, mm-hmm. or, or run sub four equivalent for 1500 meters, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew I had like my hands full with this field, and I knew some of the guys in the field were faster than me, like had better speed than I did. Um, and the, the race went out so slow and I was like, Oh my God, this is going to suck. Like I'm going to be screwed by this. Cause I'm yeah. not as fast as some of these guys. So with 600 meters to go, I just bolted to the front and ran basically as hard as I could from 600 to 400 to go and broke it open and then knew I had to hold it, like hold everyone off the rest mm-hmm. of the time. So it's just like, you're just running with fear in you because you know, people are chasing you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I held everyone off, won the Big East championship and, and just like felt like I'd accomplished a lot. Cause since I beat, you know, really good field. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know, as a pro, it's like, it's so interesting because like, those are both wins, right? Yeah. I don't know if like, I, I mean, I won some races as a pro, but like, I didn't win a lot of races right. as a pro. It's, it's so hard. Oh, like, course, yeah. it's so interesting how like your mentality sort of has to shift and like what you, what's like acceptably good in your mind mm-hmm. and like what like other people's expectations are for you. Um, but I might have to, I don't know. I was, I was just retelling this to a bunch of high school kids that, that I went to that for my high school, but I, I did this race in London um, in 2013, and it was the anniversary game. So it was right after the Olympics in the Olympic Stadium. It was actually the Olympics that I was closest to making because I was fourth that year uh, in 2012 in the 5K and just yeah. didn't make the team. I was really close. But um, then the next year, I, so I was in. So who who did make the team that year? So that year was Galen. Um, he won and broke Steve Prefontaine's Olympic trials okay. record. He, uh, Bernard Lagat was second and Lopez, my teammate was yep. third. So I was, I was like, I was there with like 200 meters to go and just didn't quite, didn't quite have it. So, so it's interesting you mentioned that race. Cause you would think that that would be kind of like a heartbreaking moment in your career, but you listed it as like one of the highlights of, of your professional career. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's both heartbreaking and like, I think it taught me a lot about like my, myself yeah. and, um, and maybe it like helped to shift away from just like that all or nothing mentality to mm-hmm. like a more holistic approach to the sport and, um, realizing like with time that like, that was actually maybe the best perform maybe the best race I could have run. And you just kind of have to accept what what the results the three are. Three guys ran faster. Yeah. 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 So, you know, just to kind of like paraphrase that, you finished fourth in the Olympic trials and the top three guys Correct. make the team. Yes. So you would have been the first alternate if something would have would have gone so wrong. So I did do all of like the Olympic yeah. processing and stuff. And that was kind of getting because wow. you're going through like all of the stuff that the first three guys are going through in terms oh. of like filling out all the paperwork. And, and you feel like you're really close to this goal you've had since you were a little kid. Right. Yeah. But you're not, you're not one of the three. So it's a little gutting too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can understand that, man, but yeah, there's something to be proud of there. And yeah, being in 2012, you must've been what 27 or something mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So 
still like at a moment in your career where you're sort of in the in the thick of your prime with a lot a lot to look forward to um so it's great that you you know can look back at that and not be bitter but also um yeah like see see the uh the positive in it and and the fact that man you were so so close to to achieving that goal at that time and um you know not yeah not being bitter about it but being proud so you know in transitioning to kind of more of the stuff that we were talking about when when we were running which is mm-hmm. you know very much on the human side of, of being an athlete. And really the thing that I'm trying to achieve with this podcast specifically, not just you, but with everybody I talk to is, is exploring this like human side of being a pro athlete and, or entrepreneur, whatever the case is with the person that I'm talking to. And we talked about this a lot, uh, in our conversation on the run. And there's this perception that being a pro athlete is just like the best thing ever. Right. And certainly there's nothing that I'd rather do probably the same for you, but it's also like a really hard way to make a living, right? Not only physically exhausting, but it's like super emotionally taxing. Were were there any moments like in your early days as a pro, like when you moved out to Portland, Oregon for the first time, kid from Tennessee, went to college in DC, moving out West. Was there anything that sort of made you question whether you were on the right path at that point, or were you totally bought into being a pro runner? Um, or did you have some self doubt in terms of like, maybe I should be doing what all my buddies from, from Georgetown are doing, trying to get real jobs and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't No, I was a hundred percent in yeah. on, on doing this and like living this lifestyle. And like one of the things that Jerry and I talked about is like what the, one of the reasons he was excited about me joining and just like any athlete joining is just to like, see how good you can be yeah. like to truly max out your body and your potential. Like, what can you do? Like how fast can you run for these different distances? And like, you know, what sort of, what sort of like races can you win? What sort of teams can you make? Mm -hmm. All those sorts of things. And I, I was super stoked about all that stuff. Like, just like, let's do it all. Let's, let's do it right. And Mm -hmm. like, let's just see how far I can get in this. And, um, so no, I was like, man, I, I can tell you, like, I remember moving into my apartment here in Portland downtown and, just like waking up one morning and be like, cause I was so used to like being a student athlete, which yeah. is so different. And I woke up one morning and I was like, man, all I have to do is run today. Yeah. And I get to do that. Yeah. Like, this is like awesome. So yeah. like early on, that was definitely where I, my head was at. Um, it was just like full of stoke every day. That first like Nike shipment that came to my house was like Christmas, man. I was just like ripping things open. I like, I think I just like, I was by myself, but I think yeah. I just like started like laughing. Like, cause it was so just like, I, I kind of made it. Yeah. Like, I hit at least one of these major milestones. Totally. Um, yeah. but you know, they're definitely like, as my career evolved, like you said, I've been doing this like 10 years. Um, there definitely were times where it was like, this is really hard. Yeah. And whether it was like a long period of injury mm-hmm. that kind of, and normally that's what it would be like, you know, the, the, the injuries really, I think are the thing that take all of that like excitement. Yeah. And, um, like, cause I'll work hard. Like I'll do all the work. Mm-hmm. Like I loved that part. The, Including the, the little things. Yeah. Yeah. The things to stay healthy, but when you get hurt and you're hurt badly, you know, and for a long period of time, like that, 
is when I was like looking at friends that were in New York and were like moving up in like the, on the corporate, in the corporate world yeah. or like, and you're just like, and I, it's like, I have the same education as you do yeah. and like the same background. Like I could be doing that too. Right. And that's when it's like, man, this is really hard. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Sort of mm-hmm. like there's to be moments where you're questioning. Makes you that, question it. Of course. Even yeah. if what you're doing is like deep down, you know, like your passion and the thing that you want to pursue and that you would be miserable living in New York, you know, working. Right. At, I wouldn't want to do that. You know, finance <laughs> or something. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's hard not to compare yourself to your peers and your cohorts and yeah, feel like if you are injured, almost feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of like bad at my job or I'm worthless. Right. Like, and I have nothing else to do, but like sit at home. My job is to be a professional runner. Of course, like you spend time rehabbing and getting yourself healthy as quickly as you can. But there's a lot of downtime where you can kind of sit with yourself and think like, wow, like, yeah, is this ever going to come back? And if it doesn't, like, what am I going to do next? So like, maybe are there any, um, Injuries like that, that, that stick out to you that were, uh, particularly difficult to get through. And then maybe in that line, just to make sure it's not totally depressing, yeah. <laughs> a good thing that came out of it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, I kind of like divide my career, my professional career up into like two halves is the way I see it. Um, the first half was like pre-surgery. <laughs> the second half is post-surgery. Mm-hmm. So I, in 2015, I, um, developed a sports hernia, um, that was kind of misdiagnosed early on and, and as they often are. And, um, but really was debilitating. I like no physical therapy was working for it anyway. Like it took a really long time to like figure out what was going on. Eventually, um, realized I needed to have surgery and that whole summer, um, 2015, I just, all the te- all my teammates were in Europe, like crushing it. Like my Ryan Hill, who is a big, big, like big friend of mine, I guess, and training partner for many years. Like he won USA's that year and mm-hmm. like, it was cr- like ran, se- he ran so fast for three K and I was just sitting at home and just like, it was beautiful every day in, in Portland. <laughs> and I was just Even like, worse. so depressed. Um, I, you know, that summer I did get, like, I, got a road bike and like did a lot of that and like did a lot of the things that like normally I wouldn't be able to do cause I'm, I'm gone. So I'd like went to a lot of like outdoor like concerts in Portland and the surrounding areas went camping a bunch, mm-hmm. like did some hiking, did some things that I normally wouldn't do. But, um, that was a really hard time. Like mm-hmm. it, it was, it, so how long did it last? I, it lasted, um, I would say a year, year, I missed a year or a year and a half. I missed almost two full seasons of running, of running related to that. Plus a stress fracture I developed in the comeback mm-hmm. from that. So that's why I say is like, it was like kind of two halves. Cause when I came back from that in the fall of 2016, I, Jerry was like, we're not putting anything on the calendar. You're just going to run until you're healthy and do workouts and get fit again. And then we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so I, one of my opener, which was super fun was a, um, 10,000 on the track in Tokyo. Um, it, we were like Chris, Derek and a teammate of mine and I were the first like 
non-Japanese runners to like go and do this 10K. So we like, stayed at this university in Tokyo um, and lived with like the Japanese athletes like that were in college there. And um, like they were really concerned about like, like if we were going to be okay with the food and stuff and like Chris and I were like beyond stoked to like eat with them yeah. and like, just like take it all in. So yeah, we were living that life of like, just like integrating into this, this other culture for a week and, and it was super fun. Um, so that was kind of like the kickstart to the next phase, which ultimately ended up being the marathon fit, which yeah. was part two of my career, which is kind of the marathon yeah. phase. So it's uh, another, uh, similarity or thing that we have in common is our, uh, Japanese connection. Your marathon debut was in Tokyo marathon. You're talking about this 10 yeah. K in Tokyo too, and the cultural immersion and the, yeah, just sort of like the concern and hospitality of the people there to make sure you want to eat their food and you, that you're comfortable. It's a, it's a beautiful place to to compete. And and a, and a bit on that too, actually, um, Dylan is I I remember that my first real introduction to who you were. Like Levi had talked about you for maybe a year or two before that, probably yeah. maybe even longer, but. You were running the Mount Fuji, yeah. uh, hundred mile or a hundred and three mile, whatever it yeah. is, the yeah. distance was too, like too long in my mind at the time, at least. I, trail Mount Fuji. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I don't understand One of the best that. races in the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I watched you, um, on, you had your, you were doing Instagram live or like some sort of feed you had <laughs> yeah. going for that. And you had your, one of your buddies or your like, uh, what do you, what do you call his the, name is Madge. Yeah. What do you call the, like the, the person who helps you? The crew. Crew. crew yeah. yeah. So you had like your crew guy, like filming you, like as you'd come through the aid stations and stuff. And I remember like tuning into that, um, just cause Levi's like, Oh, you got to watch this. Like you, you need to watch it. It's really cool. And I was like, okay. I had no idea what was going on, but like, but it was so cool to see like of someone that I, like a friend of a friend, like do this thing. And I remember what struck me so much about it was just like, I had like gone and trained, come home, eaten, slept, and then slept <laughs> for a full, like 10 hours. Yeah. And I, and and Levi texted me the next morning. He's like, dude, you have to like tune in and out. Like, yeah. it's almost like he's like, he's like going to finish soon. I was like, okay. <laughs> so like I'm watching and it was hard to tell what was going on from my perspective, but you were like picking people off. And I think you had been in, se you were in second, but you were mm -hmm. like closing, like you could watch the time gap. You were closing in yeah. on first place. And I was like, is he going to do this? Is he actually going <laughs> to like be able to like after like 98 miles, like be able to like you know, close this down and you did. And I was like, okay. I was like, this dude is a freaking badass. Like, <laughs> I just remember thinking that like, this guy is totally insane, but like also, also just like tough as nails because you just like, basically you, you'd done what I would do like over 5k. You just done over a hundred miles. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, you so. sit and kick. Basically. Yeah. It's a sit and kick. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's funny because like, like the question I asked you before about like races that stick out in your mind, like that for me is the race, you know, the race of my career and something that I'll, I'll always remember. But to add a little bit more context, you had done the Boston marathon like the week before and right. finished fifth place. Right. Another amazing achievement right. at one of the, greatest foot races in the world, if not the foot race, as you called it, the masters of meaning the, the, the golf masters of, 
of uh, running, which I think is a perfect comparison, a perfect analogy. So you had finished fifth in 2018 at the Boston Marathon in the worst conditions ever, the Mm -hmm. year that Desi won. And then I did UTMF and won that race. And then it was like the next week that we met for the first time and Ben and, you know, just crushed beers all weekend. Yeah, together. It was we great. were both riding like <laughs> this, this like kind of professional, I guess a professional high in the yeah. sense of like, we'd both just done really well in our respective <laughs> fields. And then we were coming together to celebrate this individual who like Levi, who was our connective tissue. Yep. And we were in arguably one of the best places in the world, Bend, Oregon, yeah. and just like getting after it. It was great. Drinking beer and like, I don't great. know, just like having a lot of laughs and drinking some mezcal, I think, yeah. as oh, I remember. Many, many. <laughs> the Oaxacan speedball, I think it's what the cocktail <laughs> was called. Well, but anyway, you know, now that we've gotten a few laughs out of the way, like, so it, when you look back at that year and a half, two years of being injured, hernia, stress fracture, what was some of the good that came out of it? Like, do you look back at that and think like, God, that was just the most miserable time in my life? Or is it like, man, that was miserable, but man, like I learned this or it motivated me to start running the marathon. Anything else like that? Ring a bell? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it like, I think the comeback from that brought a new appreciation for like being able to compete and, being healthy and being able to just like go for a run without pain. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've heard other athletes, like other runners, like say the same thing and you realize what a grounding part running plays into your life. Um, and then I think just the appreciation for like competition again. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, like the adventure into a new thing. Like the marathon is so different than, Mm -hmm. than, um, track running. It's, it's like two different sports. I mean, they're categorized, Mm -hmm. they're like all under like the USATF banner in terms of like the governing body, but like marathon running and track running couldn't be, I mean, they're, they're as different as I think as trail running is to marathon, marathon. like to road marathon Mm -hmm. running. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, I think really well said. And, and I totally, empathize with it or identify with that as well of just like having just gone through kind of a a year of injury and personal crisis myself and then finally like coming out the backside and feeling like confident in my body again and running pain-free but then also just can totally visualize what a good feeling that is to almost like you know flip a page in your book and not only are you coming back healthy but like you come back healthy and with like a new vision and like a new, um, sort of like chance to reinvent yourself as an athlete. It's, that's really cool. So again, to go from positive to uh, depre- depressive <laughs> stuff, um, and, and, and talking about the marathon, I was embarrassed when I realized after our run that I didn't even ask you about the Olympic trials when we were out running, which I know is a hard fucking thing for you. Um, and you know, I want, if it's not, you know, too hard for you to kind of recollect, I'm, I'm interested to hear more about it from your perspective, like learn more about like what your expectations were going in. Cause I, I'm pretty sure you were feeling pretty damn good. And mm-hmm. like, what was on the line for you there mm-hmm. and sort of like what ultimately happened? Yeah. So I just come off like 
a great fall. Um, I, you know, I'd run two ten, like two ten, and that was a big PR for me. I mean, it was like a three minute PR um, in Chicago, and so I was kind of took a little break after that um, to reset and just like know that I had this like big build up for um, the Olympic Trials Marathon, and um, yeah, the training went went great. I went up, I was up in Colorado. I was in, um, I was in Woodland park and just outside of Colorado Springs with, with the whole team. So that was kind of cool. Um, over the last few years, I haven't been with the whole track group the entire time. Like most of it, uh, I've been doing alone or been with, uh, just with like Chris Derrick, the other marathoner. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it was special to have like, um, all of those guys there. So I had, there was just like a lot of really good energy at camp at training camp. Um, Anyway, so I was there for five weeks and then transitioned to, um, or I guess I should say, we went down to New Orleans to do just like a little tune-up race. Um, And it was more of a a training event. It was a half marathon? It was a half marathon, 13, yeah. It was a half marathon, the the rock and roll half there in New Orleans. And it was really just to simulate um, the first half of the the marathon versus like racing that. So um, that went really well, though. I felt great, felt really strong. Um, and then we were going to do our final three weeks, um, training in Flagstaff so that we could go from being up at 7,000 feet and doing some workouts like in Phoenix at sea level so that we could be able to really hammer those, those last couple workouts that we did in Phoenix and pretty Mm -hmm. much everything. I mean, that whole training block went off without a hitch. I mean, it kind of did everything that I hoped to do and get out of it. And, um, so I was feeling really good. I was feeling really confident going into Atlanta. Um, again, like the place, uh, uh, that I first like kind of became aware of the Olympics and like, so that Uh. had some meaning and also like with its proximity to Nashville, I had, I knew, I mean, I didn't know of everyone that was coming, but I, there were, 20, 30, maybe 40 people from my past to like family and otherwise that were there to Mm -hmm. support me. Um, so, you know, I had all those things like going for me and I was really excited, um, for those things. And, um, anyway, getting into the race, like it was, it was a lot, I think the pace was a lot quicker early than I thought. I mean, we just kind of got it. I mean, I just thought, I didn't know what we would do. It wasn't crazy quick, but it was honest. It was pretty fast. Um, and we was clicking along and, um, unfortunately for me, like around like 10 miles, I started to have some like uneasiness in my, like in my stomach, basically yeah. like some GI, like every runner knows like that GI, like pain you start mm-hmm. to get. And, um, it kind of got worse and worse. And I was like around half marathon, I was like, I, I'm going to have to stop yeah. like to take care, like to take, try to take care of this or like, I'm not going to be able to like continue. Um, so I did, I, I, just after half marathon, I think it was like 13 or 14 miles. I stopped and like pulled off as quickly as I could hit, hit a portage on like, and at this point, like, this is like the worst, like you're, you're like everything that like you'd like nightmare in. Yes. It's like, I don't know. It's like, um, to put it to another sport, it's like, it's like striking out. It's like striking. It's like the strikeout, like that you you like yeah. ends the game, or like you miss a free yeah, throw. Yeah, or like yeah, you I muff a punt yes, in the fourth quarter yes, or something it's like, like that. Yeah. It is the like ultimate, just like oh my god, what is happening right now? Yeah. And you're like kind of outside your body at that point, and you're mm. thinking, you're just like panicking a little bit. Um, but I so I stopped. 
I got back on the course and um, tried to like just take a deep breath and be like, whatever, like it's it'll be okay, you know, like it'll mm-hmm. be okay. Like, you're you're gonna be like it's fine. Like mm-hmm. just just try to reset because I knew I had to do that if I, if there was gonna be any positivity coming out of the day. I mean, I think I think at that point I believed like I, I doubted like that the team was still possible, but I was really hoping that I could salvage like a good performance. Yeah. Um, Cause to me, like, even if I didn't make the team, um, which was the ultimate goal and the reason I was still basically doing things for the last three or four years, um, at the marathon distance, that was the entire goal. But I guess I still like would have had pride in being able to finish like top 10 or top five or whatever too. So, um, but unfortunately the man, like things just kind of got worse for me from Mm -hmm. there. Like I started to get like cold chills um the whole body just kind of just started to shut down and I was like I got to 16 and like had slowed I think from where I'd been before and just like realized it's like man I just like I'm not gonna be able to finish this race today like the idea of running 10 more miles just like seemed impossible Mm -hmm. at that point and so I pulled off just after 16 and um went over to the tent and um yeah, I just, I think I just like burst into tears really just cause mm-hmm. I, it was like, you know, everything that I'd like mentally prepared myself for, um, just like didn't happen. Like yeah. I knew that there might be a point where I had to like really dig in and I, it might slip away, but I didn't even get to get to that point. And I think that's mm-hmm. the part that hurts the most is like, I didn't even get to like have the fight that you get, that you mm-hmm. have in the marathon, which is like kind of like what I would say is like the last like six miles or so where you kind of have to fight and maybe you lose that fight. Maybe you don't yeah. win it, but like, like 2012 in the 5k. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Maybe it turns out exactly like that, but I think I had enough perspective, um, coming from that, that like, I would have been okay. Like I emotionally, I would have been okay with a fourth or fifth or sixth or eighth place finish. If I felt like I fought as hard as I could. Mm-hmm. And I felt like because of what happened with my body, which I still don't really know, yeah. I didn't even get to like fight. And that's the part that I think was the hardest. Yeah. Super frustrating, man. And yeah, again, like as a fan of yours and with our, our mutual friends sort of watching and cheering for you, you know, knowing how hard you'd worked and what you'd been through is just like, you know, and knowing how crushed you'd be, it was like, you know, shitty for us to even text one another, but you know, it's important for people to hear, you know, because like you being such a great athlete and somebody who's been like the best at every level, you know, going back to when you ran whatever it was, 849 for the two mile when you were 16 years old and being the best guy coming out of your class in 2009 or whatever and running professionally for 10 years, like, God damn, like you still have those moments where it's just like, fuck, like I'm not good or like I'm a fraud or like everything I worked for was a waste of time. So, and of course that's not true. Like that's just, you know, sort of the idiotic things that come into our minds as, as athletes, but it's totally natural for that to be the case. And since the Olympics was kind of like your lifelong dream of being a kid, like, did it feel to you as if like, this is my last best shot? Um, and like, or like, how are you thinking about it now with a couple months of perspective and, and, and also, so looking back at that and then thinking about the path forward for you, which was the thing that we talked about the most on our run together last weekend, like, 
does that does that dream of being an Olympian like is it is it kind of dead for you and um you know if so like how do you think about moving forward as a person and as an athlete yeah I mean I think I think cerebrally I was like definitely aware that the marathon trials and the marathon uh, in particular like is, a, is an event set was like what was my shot for this year um mm-hmm. or for like the 2020 games uh so I think like as soon as like I pulled off the course or like that yeah. things like yeah I, I think I knew that that was that that dream was probably over um you know I I don't have any intention at least at at this moment of, of running the track trials next year. Um, obviously they were postponed, but I, I think I just kind of had this, I, I, I think what I always said was like, I want to be aware of myself as an athlete and know, uh, when it's time to, to stop and not force through it just for, for someone else or like for like a goal that like is probably not realistic anymore. And, so yeah, like I, I mean, I guess I would say that 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 dream was never realized, um, and I don't think will be. Um, but even when you see somebody like Abdi who makes yeah. the team as a whatever he is, forty two or whatever at the marathon, like yeah, when you're thirty seven, who knows? Maybe you could you could run the trials. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like certainly, like num the number itself, me being thirty three, is not the reason that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, it's more just you know what it would take to go through another cycle. Exactly. Yeah. And I just don't know that like the desire is there yeah. like to do that. I think to your point of like what might be next, like I, I think I'm equally as excited about those things, like about what could be next, mm-hmm. um, and in in different ways that I can um, I can challenge myself and um, contribute to society in a different way um i mean running like being an elite runner is kind of in some ways it's a selfish pursuit uh (laughs) it has to be like to do it at this level and i mean i think there's still ways like you can of course you can do good with it i mean whether it's speaking yeah to other athletes like younger athletes or like coaching or like those sorts of things you can still do but like not at the same level that you can if that if that's off your plate. Yeah. Yeah, I just wish that there was more guidance, I think, for people in our position to sort of transition to that next thing because you know, as you said like it can be a kind of exhilarating an inspiring moment in your life, right? Like when you've been an athlete for so long and you've been doing one thing for so long and it's given you so much and you feel like you've sort of like accomplished everything that you can with it. Having that opportunity to like totally reinvent yourself when you're in your mid thirties is like actually kind of an awesome thing as long as you use it right. Of course, it's also like incredibly hard right to let go of that part of yourself and to let go of all those habits of like you know getting up and training every day and following a schedule and having some race on the horizon that you're pointing towards incessantly until it comes like you kind of have to figure out a way to 
have that still be part of who you are as a person and part of your daily routines and habits, but like in a totally different industry and totally different job. And I think it's just like something that I like came to realize in the tail end of my personal crisis of just like, you know, I don't want this to be done. You know, I'm not ready for it to be done, but like when it is done, like it's going to be kind of cool to be able to like do something else, you know, and, and sort of like let go of this part of my life and be super proud of it. And, you know, walk away with so many new friendships and experiences and then take that experience and, and contribute somewhere else. And I think that's, that's really cool. So, you know, in our talk on the run, you know, you thought, you know, maybe there's a chance you would go for Boston this fall too. And so I guess my, my question is like, have you figured out like, if you're going to stay in the sport, are you thinking about like, obviously this is going to take a while to figure out with your family, but like, what would, what would motivate you as an athlete looking ahead? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, I think there's still some unfinished business at the marathon distance. I think what, one of the things that we talked about was like, I think I tend to like, when I feel like, and I think I have a pretty good, um, barometer for myself of like, like, is there still potential here? Mm. Is there like something untapped or is that like kind of, that's it? (laughs) Like for better or worse, like I've given everything. Um, And I think in the marathon, I certainly believe that there's still more to give in terms of, I think I can run 209. Maybe I can even run 208. Um, And that's exciting because there aren't aren't that many athletes that are, you know, 337, 1500 meter runners that then also have run 13, 12 in the 5k and then run 208 or 209, at least American athletes. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a bunch of African athletes that have done that, but, uh, American athletes, there aren't that many. And so I feel like you all of a sudden like are in like an even different like set of company in terms of just like that range. And, um, so that's something that would, would be exciting to me is like, can I break 210? Like I, I just ran 210. Can I, can I get yeah. under 210? Can I, can I do that? So we'll see. I mean, it's interesting. Like there all, there's five majors that are going to be in the fall now. Theoretically. Theoretically. Hope, yeah. yeah. Like who knows? <laughs> but like, so there are choices for like, I'll have my choice. I'll have my pick of the litter for like, which, which race I might target. And I think I'm starting to look into that right now in terms of like what, what options might be available. And I think the races are still very like, not sure how they're going to move forward. So no one's really committing to anything at this point. So I'm just like, again, like I'm just like trying to stay fit enough and um, run enough to where like when I get like that, when I get it greenlit, like I'm ready, like yeah. I'm ready to go and I can jump back so into So you're training. just sort of like waiting for some sort of motivation to strike you and mm-hmm. listen to that instinct and potentially follow it. Yeah, it's sort exactly. of like... Why not? Yeah, it's, there's no reason to to just walk away when you feel like there's still gas in the tank. But it will look, I mean, it will look a little different, I think, yeah. because there's also this pursuit of, like, what's next, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, right now, I mean, with with the virus and quarantine and, like, just not having a lot of, like, true actionable things that I can do right now, yeah. I'm really trying to work on my own professional development and 
soak up knowledge from other people who have like made this transition. I've got several buddies that have like gone from running professionally. That's so important. Exactly. You can talk to them. Yeah. yeah. And their, their like words are so, are so good in terms of guiding what I'm doing and yeah. um, how to move forward. But I'm also just like, I'm a little antsy and a little hunk. Cause like I'm a workhorse, like that's yeah. what I do. Like, and I don't really feel like, I guess at the moment I have something that's super clear to work on. I, I'm still working and I've like kind of resigned myself to this like professional, what I'm calling like professional development and yeah. maybe it's just like enrichment, yeah. like trying to read a lot and um, like study the things that I like potentially might want to do. And, and just like, again, like having a lot of conversations with people who I, who I really respect and like want to get a lot of knowledge from. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, talking about your range and your potential to potentially go faster over the course of a marathon just makes me think about your range and going super fast for 50K, 100 miles, mm. you know. So maybe yeah. maybe next year it'll be you know, way too cool, then Lake Sonoma, and then, then Western States. And then, you know, then you can walk off into the sunset having... You know, there was, yeah, I believe there was talk about like Western <laughs> states, like via text at one point between us. Dude, I think, I mean, I think it, when you inevitably make the transition, you're going to be a world dominator immediately. <laughs> well, part of the problem was we got to that three hours and 14 mark. And I was like, I think the thing I said to you in the parking lot was, how do you do this for like another, like, like, I don't know, 16 hours. Well, don't worry. I mean, way too cool. It'd be over way faster than that for you. So we'll, so we'll start there and work forward and, and you and I can train together and you can whoop my ass and we'll, we'll both get better as we, as we age. That sounds That'll good. That'll be good. Yeah. Um, so I also just read this blog today by Jesse Thomas. You know who he is? Professional triathlete. Is the owner of Picky Bars? Yes, I yeah. do. Yeah. So he officially announced his retirement from, from triathlon today. And um, he, he's been injured for the last couple of years. So it, it was sort of like not a surprise, but he did a really good job of kind of encapsulating um, this moment, I think. So I, I definitely recommend that you read it. And of course, he's got a clear indication of like what's next, mm -hmm. right? Like, cause mm -hmm. now he can just pour all of his energy into his, the business that he has been running for years and piggy bars. So like, you know, you don't have to be super specific, but in thinking about what's next, like at least we talked about, it'll at least be peripherally involved with, with running mm -hmm. hopefully. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, Again, this sort of just goes back to, I think, what my overall point is and how I think about this for myself is, like, it doesn't have to end, you know, it can just evolve, you know, and you don't have to give up this passion, but, like, you can sort of, like, explore it in, in different ways. So what, uh, what do you sort of have in mind coming up here? I mean, you don't have to be specific. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but what, what do you think about when you think about the next step for Andrew Bumbleo? Yeah. Um, I think just being around, um, sp sport for my whole life, I'm, I'm just really passionate about it. And, um, you know, I guess lucky enough to have been, um, a Nike athlete for 10 years and be like living in Portland. Um, you know, we're, we're, kind of a, a brand, you know, sportswear brand capital, a hub, if you will here. Um, so I think my passion, um, kind of lies in, in sport. And 
Um, I've always seen, uh, like the next phase, even early on, I think I always saw the next phase, like kind of, um, pushing that forward, pushing that forward with a, with a brand, um, whether in like in product or, um, in branding itself or marketing. Um, I definitely just like have a passion for, um, kind of giving other people, um, something to be stoked about. And I think, all the brands here in town do that. And I mean, Nike is kind of the one that I've been tied with this entire time. And I think Nike just does such a great job of, of kind of reaching those people and kind of giving them something to, to pursue and to like, just believe in themselves that they, they're an athlete, you know, and that they, they have this opportunity. Hell yeah. So that's, uh, we're so similar, man. It's so (laughs) cool. Um, and yeah, like, as we talked about, during our run last weekend, you know, you being somebody who was on a division one scholarship throughout college, uh, running basically year round between track and cross country and indoor, maybe even, and then running professionally, it's almost like, I mean, you've never really been anything but a runner. And that is in itself, like, you know, a postgraduate degree that's valuable to, a brand as, as you mentioned. And so I've no doubt that whenever you make the transition, that it'll be a good one. And, and I have similar visions for myself, which, uh, which is fun to hear. It's fun to talk with you about it. So in closing, Bumby, this has been great. Um, and we've talked a bit about, you know, like our identities as, as athletes, um, and like the fact that we can't be just runners. Right. And you're also a father. And one of the things that I really admire about you and your wife, Anne, is that you've sort of like foster and adopt, you've adopted a couple of children. And, um, I'm curious where that came from for you guys and what that's brought into your life as a father. Yeah. So my wife is definitely kind of was the driving force behind, um, kind of that. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't really have an idea of like what family would look like. I knew I wanted to be with my wife. Um, but, and I knew I wanted to have a family, but I didn't really know what, I didn't have like visions of, Oh, I definitely want to like have biological children or, Oh, I definitely want to do that, like adopt or whatever. Um, but we got involved, um, in foster care in 2015. Um, and we started to, she started to care for, um, this little boy, um, at like kind of as a, what we call respite in the, in like the, the lingo of, of foster care, we call it respite care where she was caring for, um, a child who was in foster care that was actually placed with another family. Um, they both worked full time. My wife was working part time and it just worked out well for her to be able to care for this little boy so that the other family could actually be foster parents. Cause otherwise they wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, so flat, I guess, fast forward to the next year we started to get in, She started to get involved with this, um, this, uh, organization called foster parents night out, um, which is an opportunity for, foster families in the area to drop their kids off once a month for four hours so that the family gets a little bit of rest, like gets whatever they need, like rest to do a date night or just like kind of be able to have a safe place for your kids to go for Mm -hmm. four hours on a Saturday, like once a month. And, um, and so we started to volunteer for that. And I think through that, you just start to, you started to have, I started to have like, 
you know, relationship building with some of the kids that were in care and you just see that they're like, I mean, they're just, they're just kids and they have all of the same like wants and desires and needs that like any kid would have. And, you know, you realize like the fact that they're in foster care is not fault of their own at all. Like they're just, they're just like, they just, you know, unfortunately their parents, like for whatever reason, couldn't care for them. So, um, so we started to do that and then it was like, okay, now we're like ready to take another step. And, um, I dragged my feet a little bit on it because it was just like, man, this is going to like totally, yeah, it's, and I'm like pretty like conservative with my like commitments. Cause I just yeah. like, don't want to be like, you know, casting a bigger net than I can do. And mm-hmm. so anyway, like I dragged my feet a little bit on it, but eventually we decided to, um, to do foster care and like have a child place with us. So, um, I guess it was 26, like spring of 20, April of 2016, we had this little boy place with us who was three and a half at the time. And we both just like fell in love with him, like over a weekend, like it was literally one weekend. And we were like, this kid, man, this is like a special thing. Right. Like, and I, it was kind of bizarre that we both felt that way that quickly. Um, we like reached out to another family that we knew did foster care. And we're like, is this normal? Like, do we, like, do you fall in love with a child this quickly? Yeah. And he actually was like only supposed to be with us for a weekend cause it was respite care still. And so he, anyway, he left and we were devastated. We were absolutely devastated. And, um, he, his story, you know, change, his, his circumstances changed. And actually our certifier who was in charge of placing kids with us reached back out to us and was like, Hey, this little boy that you had this connection with, like he, like he needs a long-term home. Like, can, like, do you, do you guys want to do it? And before like we did anything else, we both just said immediately were like, yes, no like hesitation. send yeah. him back. Like, please like have him come back to us. And, um, anyway, you know, fast forward, he was lit with us for several years, fast forward to, I guess it was 2017, um, when we finally adopted him and, uh, just kind of cause of the, you know, all the legal stuff that you go through with that. And, um, yeah, he's our son now and he's a bumbleo. and, um, what's his first name? His name is legend, legend, legend bumbleo. Um, yeah, he's, he's amazing. And he just like, he's just such a special guy. And, um, I think just has taught me so many things, um, in terms of just like perspective, um, how to love like in a different, like in a different way. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up in a, you know, two parent household where like they stayed together, they're still together. And, um, that's not the, I know I recognize that that is not the norm for a lot of people. And so just kind of realizing that and just like, I think I, I called my parents just like cry, like almost crying, like thanking them for like what wow. they did for me. Wow. Um, because like, yeah. you just realize, like, I think you, it's easy to take it for granted totally. if you haven't seen the other side. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's, it's funny, man. He's, he's, he reminds me so much of myself and it's weird cause we're not biologically related, yeah. but man, he is as competitive, if not more competitive than me. He's athletically gifted. Yeah. I don't know like what that means. I mean, I'm not a, I'm trying desperately not to be a sports, sports dad. dad. <laughs> I do not want to be a sports dad, but 
I also am like, you know, other parents will be like, man, legend is like so good at shooting the basketball or like, he's so fast. Or like say things like that. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, oh, product right. of his environment. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like trying just like for him just to see it as play. Yeah. Because that's, I, I think that's like so important. It's just like, let it be play for as long yeah. as it can be. And then like, if he wants to, to turn it up, he can do that and that can be his choice. But yeah, man, it's, it's been special. It's been really fun being a dad. Um, and you mentioned two kids. We, we are actually, um, fostering another little girl, yeah. um, who's been in our house now for over a year. So we'll see, we're not really certain, um, what is going to happen yeah. with, with her case and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it, that's not something I can talk a lot sure, about, but, sure. yeah. but, um, she's, she's really special to you yeah. and, and it's been fun to see them at, like legend interact with her, yeah. um, and just like kind of be like play that big brother role as well. So. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us, dude. That's really a beautiful thing and a, and a lovely place to to end our conversation but um dude it's great to live in the same town as you and to hang out and i look forward to our run this weekend together and uh many more in the future yeah uh it's just i don't know it's it's super stoked for me to have uh, another good buddy be here and to maybe cement the fact that like you know Portland, it doesn't rain all the time. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell the Californians. Yeah, don't tell the Californians. <laughs> all right, bro. How cool is that? Thanks so much to Andrew. Appreciate his honesty and vulnerability. And uh, hope you guys give him a follow. Check him out at a bumbalo at Instagram and Twitter. Give him a shout. Let him know if you enjoyed our conversation. Give me a shout too. Really appreciate any and all feedback as we try and make this podcast cool and interesting for you. So leave a rating or review or give me a shout online at Dylan Bow, Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, talk to you soon. <laughs>